Well, welcome to The Crossing today. Good to see you. Glad you made this part of your weekend. Also want to welcome our Southeast Campus, our microsites, all of those who are catching us online. Let's give them a huge welcome to let them know we're glad they're part of The Crossing family. And today is our REACH Sunday, and it's our hope that you will engage with that. I just make a commitment every year that I try to get out of the country every year to see what God is doing to work with our partners. I'll be going to Japan here in a couple months to work with our partners in Japan, and we want you to get involved in just seeing how God can use you to take that next step, because we see that as so important as part of our journey um, with Christ. Well, this last weekend, we passed a major milestone here at the crossing. We just had our 4,000th baptism in the life of the church. I think that is amazing. And if you just step back and you just think about the magnitude of that right there, 4,000 people who've encountered the grace of Jesus, 4,000 life change stories, but we know that the ripple effect of those 4,000 is probably tens of thousands of people who've been impacted because of what has happened through those people coming in contact with Jesus. And maybe you're sitting here and go, I've always wanted to be baptized, right? I'm thinking about it. Here's my encouragement to you, because if you're a follower of Jesus, your next step is to be baptized. Let me say it this way. That if, if you become a follower of Jesus, your first step is to be baptized. And we're going to be doing baptisms this next weekend. We do them once a month, and we want to help you take your first step with Christ. And so you can find out more information. Just fill out that card that's in the seat back in front of you. And we will get in touch with you to tell you how you can be a part of that. Well, a few months ago, I was reading this article about the happiest and least happiest states in America. So as I read in this article, I was trying to figure out, okay, now where's Nevada? So I started looking to find out where Nevada is. Any guesses on what number we are on the happiest states in America? Okay, I just heard somebody say 50 over here, and I heard somebody say one. So we're neither of those, okay? So we are number 37, happiest state in America. So we're not the top, but we're not the bottom either, thanks to states like West Virginia and Kentucky and Oklahoma. Those were all <laughs> below us. So then I actually began to look at what is the happiest state in America. So which one do you think that would be? Okay, I see Hawaii, you know, Florida, California. Those were all my guesses as well. Actually, Minnesota. And that surprised me because it's cold in Minnesota. It feels like we're Minnesota today. It's just not very nice outside. I'm like, Minnesota, that was just surprising to me. Maybe it's because their Vikings won this last weekend and they think they're going to go to the Super Bowl. I don't know. Maybe some Viking fans out there. But here's what's funny is we all want to be happy. But it's kind of surprising to us what makes us happy. Because happiness seems so elusive to us. Whatever we think will make us happy, it's like a moving target. As soon as we get there, it's moved away. And so I began to say a couple weeks ago in this series, I asked the question, what makes you happy? And the correct answer is no, no thing. There is no thing that can make us happy. Well, we're in week three of this series called More Than Happy. And it's not that God doesn't want you to be happy. He does. But he has something deeper for you. 
and it's joy. And today we're going to discover a joy principle that can radically improve every relationship in your life. So if you have your Bible apps or if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 2, that we're basing this series out of the book of Philippians because this letter the Apostle Paul writes talks more about joy than any other book of the Bible. That he mentions joy or rejoice 16 times. He says things like this. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And he gives us a little clue of where our joy comes from. It comes from the Lord. And the ironic thing is he writes this, rejoice in the Lord always. He's writing this from a prison cell, which means that you can have joy no matter your circumstance. No matter what you walked in with today, whatever burdens that you have, that you can have joy joy. Here's how the Apostle Paul starts out chapter 2. He says this, he says, therefore, if any of you have encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, and if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love being one in spirit and of one mind. He says, make my joy complete. That the Apostle Paul is outlining, he says, my joy is going to come from your relationships with one another. That my joy will be complete when you're like-minded. With the people in your life, when you have the same love for each other. Being one in spirit and one in mind. He says, that is what brings joy to me. That's what makes my joy complete. And then the Apostle Paul is going to give us two joy killers. He says this. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. This little phrase, selfish ambition, actually carries the idea of competitiveness or to compete with. In other words, what he's telling us, in your relationships, don't compete with each other. Do nothing out of a competitive spirit or in vain conceit. Out of this conceit, it's just about you. And then he gives us the opposite to do. And this next phrase is the point of the entire message. This next phrase is the key to finding joy. He says, rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. That this right here is the key to humility. This word humility literally means the humility of your mind, that it starts as a mindset in you. He's talking about an attitude. He's talking about a decision to value others above yourselves, to value others above yourselves. Literally, to act like they are more important than you. And right now, this is where our defenses go up, because we all have a story. We all have a story of somebody who's taken advantage of us, somebody who has hurt us. And you go, well, if you heard my story, you would say it's different for me because we all have a story. We have this story of somebody who has done something in our life, and we have this fear, if we treat them as more important than me, then they're just going to take advantage of that. Well, Paul goes on. He says this. He says, not looking to your own interest but each of you to the interests of others. Now, this is hard for me, and let, let me tell you why. Because I am mostly interested in the things that interest me. 
Now, maybe you didn't get this, so let me just go over this again. I am naturally interested in the things that interest me, and you are too. You're the same way. Which means, left to our own, we will gravitate towards the things that interest us. I'm not really into romantic comedies, but my wife is. And so every now and then, I will watch a romantic comedy because she is interested in romantic comedies. So once a decade, whether I believe it or not, I'm going to watch a romantic comedy with her. But because I don't like it, she doesn't really want me to watch it with her. She wants to watch it with her daughters. Here's what Paul's saying. He says, as a decision, you express interest in the things that interest them. And it's almost like the Apostle Paul reads our mind. Because we read this and we go, you don't know my story. This is too extreme. Who's going to really do this because they're going to take advantage of me? So he illustrates it in this way. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. That this entire passage is talking about relationships. He's talking about, here is how you find joy in your relationships. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. In other words, I want you to approach all of your relationships with the same way that Jesus has approached his relationship with you. Because this passage is all about finding joy in our relationships. That you have the same attitude of Jesus, the same mindset as Jesus. He goes on, he says, who being in the very being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Being in very nature God, here is Jesus who is God. He came as God in the flesh, and not one time did Jesus use the I that I'm God card. Not one time. Not one time did did he show up somewhere and say, hey, hey, I've got my entourage with me. Can you guys scoot over because we want to sit right here up front because I'm God. Not one time did he do that. Not one time did he show up with dinner and say, hey, I, I've got a party of 13. We would like an ocean view. Can we get your name? I'm God. Just, just write down God. Never in his whole ministry did he leverage who he was for his own sake. And we're tempted to do this all the time. Because we say, well, I'm first. Do you know who I am? I earned the right. And Jesus was more important than everyone else. He was God. Every time he showed up, he really was the most important person in the room. Yet he never used it for his advantage. He never used it for his sake. That is how you approach every relationship in your life. He says this, he says, rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. This word nothing is the idea that he emptied himself. This is the actual words. It literally is he emptied himself and made himself nothing. He emptied himself that he gave up all of his rights, all of the advantages, all of the respect that he was due. He gave it up See, we say she's so full of herself. You know, he's so full of himself. 
2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul wrote, he emptied himself and made himself a servant. The actual word that the Apostle Paul uses here is slave. And that'll be very important for something we're going to talk about in just a minute. That he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a slave being made in human likeness. He goes on and he says, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself. See, he didn't come here with all of he was entitled to. He came and he humbled himself. This right here is so emotional for me. If you've been a Christian for very long, this is emotional for you. Because we know our shortcomings. We know our sins. We know our mistakes. And here's Jesus who came and humbled himself. He made a decision to place himself under those who did not deserve it. And he did that for you and for me. To fully understand the significance of what Paul is saying here, you have to understand something about this culture. He wrote this letter to a city in Philippi. Philippi was a Roman colony, and Roman culture was oriented around status and social recognition. In this culture, it was called honor. They were part of this honor and shame culture, and it was all about the pursuit of honor. Rome was the most status-oriented culture in all of the ancient world. The secret to happiness in Philippi could be summed up in a single phrase, advance yourself. You look out for yourself. You just take care of yourself. And there was clear ranks of people. Then in Roman society, there was these, the elite and the non-elite. The elite, if we can pull up that chart, made up 2% of the population. This is the elite right here, just 2%. The non-elite were 98%. This is just the common folk in Roman culture. And at the bottom, you had slaves. Slaves had no honor, no rights, no status. Above the slaves, you had the freed, and they were actually called the freedmen. The freedmen. And the freedmen were not slaves, but they didn't have a lot of rights. Above them were the citizens, and it was a big deal to be a citizen in Rome. You could become a citizen in one of two ways. Number one, you could buy your citizenship, or number two, you were born a citizen, and a citizen of Rome had all kinds of rights. But of the elite group, this first group was called the equestrians, and the reason they were called the equestrians is because when the soldiers went into battle, they were rich enough to buy a horse for themselves to take it into battle. That these were very rich, the equestrians. Then above them are the Roman senators, very powerful and elite. And then, of course, you have Caesar on top of them. And everything was, was based around status and honor. Everything was to reinforce the status and honor. For example, clothes were all about honor. For the freemen, for these freedmen, they had a special hat that they would wear. It was called a freedman's cap. So everyone would know when they, as they wore that that they were not a slave. A citizen would wear a toga. Even though a toga was harder to put on, it showed everybody that you were a citizen, and it was against the law to wear a toga if you weren't a citizen. 
that they were allowed to do that as well as they could wear the hat if they wanted to. Equestrians would have a gold ring that they would wear. You remember in the book of James in the New Testament, it says that certain people would come into the church wearing a gold ring. This is the equestrians. They were wealthy people. That senators would wear a toga with a purple stripe on it. So everyone would know that they were part of the powerful. They were part of the elite. And the legal system was was designed to reinforce status as well. The idea that everyone was equal in the law, that was not the case in Rome. That was not something that they practiced. That there were certain um, levels of the law. And it was all to reinforce this idea. For instance, citizens could not be flogged. Only slaves and freedmen could be flogged. And there is something that happens with the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, when he is in the city of Philippi, he's flogged. And after they flog him, he says, you know it's against the law to flog a citizen of Rome. And they're blown away. They cannot believe that they've just flogged him. And I'll talk about this in a couple weeks later if I have more time to be able to talk about it. But it it caused this whole... um, this whole scene where they just kind of want to let Paul go. And he goes, no, 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 you're not going to just let me go. He says, we're all going to gather here. And I believe that he used his flogging to protect this church in Philippi, that he used it for them. But the most dishonoring punishment in all of Rome was the cross. The most dishonoring punishment was to be nailed to a cross. It was crucifixion. The Romans were very good at crucifixion. They were very good at it. And crucifixion was only for those down here. And they actually had a a technical term for crucifixion. The technical term is they called it the slave's punishment. That the seating was also arranged by status. That the seating would be the the more important people would get close up. And so, you know, if you go to the Roman Colosseum, there's a place where the Caesar would sit that would be up close. And then you would have this place where all the senators, all the elite, all on up to the normal people. Well, we still practice this today, don't we? Because if you go see the Golden Knights play hockey, you know, you can see the people who are around the the glass, you're like, okay, they must be important or they have money or something. You know, because if you're sitting in the nosebleed, you're just like the common folk. And we have other seats that we we have for status. We call it first class. If you fly on an airplane, we call that first class seating. And here's what's comical to me. We have a way of even showing everybody of how first class works. I was flying recently on this airline where they had two different places where people could enter the plane. And the first one was first class, and so they would open that up, and there was a red carpet. And all the first class people, they got to walk over the red carpet. But then they closed that. They opened up the other one. And so the normal riffraff like us, we had to walk on normal carpets all the way onto the airplane. I mean, it was just embarrassing being that normal carpet. (laughs) Well, seating in the Roman world was all about status. And you wanted to climb harder. Every category came with different status places. That as an equestrian, there would be several different status positions. And if you were a Roman senator, there were certain titles and certain offices that were better than others. And the greatest honor was to have Caesar appoint you to a certain place. And you always wanted to work your way up. Well, to lose your elite status was called being humbled. 
It was called being humble. Now, with all of that in mind, let me reread this passage for you. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a slave. Being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So you can imagine, if you're reading this letter from Paul, the significance of what he's just said. And when Paul says that Jesus was exalted to the highest place, the actual word there would be better translated by saying super exalted. Jesus was super exalted. Because they all knew about Rome. They all knew about Caesar. Well, Jesus is above every name and every person. Well, here's this joy principle for today. It's this. It's in humility, value others above yourselves. This right here is the key to joy in every relationship that you have. In humility, you value others above yourselves. In your relationships, you put more value on them than you. See, the reason that happiness seems so elusive to us is because happiness is all about you and your circumstances. If your circumstances are good, then you're happy. If your circumstances are bad, then you're unhappy. Well, with joy, joy happens when it's not about you. Joy is not based on your circumstances. In humility, value others above yourselves. See, this is not only the secret to joy, this is the secret to thriving relationships. That the whole context of this passage is about relationships. To value others above yourselves, literally to act like they are more important than you. Have you ever been around someone who is more important than you? You have. Okay, let me tell you where that's happened. But, but here's the pushback. Because the pushback is you go, Shane, are you saying that certain human beings have more intrinsic value than other human beings? Nope, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying, I want you to think of a time in your life when you are around someone that in that context, they are more important than you. For example, have you ever been to a wedding where you weren't the bride or groom? Did you notice that people stood in line to talk to them and not to you? Do you remember that no one stood in line to talk to you? Because in that particular context, I hate to break it to you, you were not the most important person in the room. Did you notice that when the bride walked in, everyone stood? And when you walked in, no one even noticed? Because in that particular context, you were not the most important person in the room. That's the filter. That's the filter you use for your relationships. 
A few years ago, my family was going to the Bellagio to see the fountains, and we were walking through the Bellagio, and my daughter, Corey, she was texting, and she about ran over this guy who was pushing a wheelchair, and she looks up at him, and it's Ryan Gosling. Now, she's had a crush on Ryan Gosling since before The Notebook. She was actually telling me, she said, everybody else got a crush on Ryan Gosling and The Notebook. She said, I had a crush on him from Remember the Titans. See, I mean, it's that one of those guys in her life. And so she sees that it's Ryan Gosling. And she doesn't know what to say. She comes over to me and she says, I just saw Ryan Gosling. And then we look and he's right next to us. And he just looks over and he just smiles at us. Have you ever been in a place like that where you were just honored to meet someone? Maybe you, you had them autograph the book that they wrote. It's not that they were a more valuable person than you, but in that moment, you were honored to be in their presence. Now, with that in mind, this is how you treat people in your life. You defer to them. In that moment, I'm going to treat you as if you were more important than me. Now, I'm not talking about that there are some people who are more valuable than others. That's not the point here. What we're talking about is relationships. And how you bring joy into your relationships. And the moment that you begin to treat somebody as more valuable than you, that's when joy comes in. Paul says that's how you treat people. If you want to make my joy complete, then value people like that. Let me tell you how this works. That in my marriage, when I'm doing that for Darla, when I'm putting her needs above my needs, when I value her above me, and when she's doing that for me, when she puts me ahead of her, that is when our relationship is the best. It's when we find the most joy in our relationship over any other time. Well, but Shane, but Shane, they may take advantage of that. They might. I don't know if it's ever going to come back my way. It may not, but that's not the concern. The concern is, if you want your relationships to have joy, if you want your relationships to be the way God wants them to be, then in humility, you value others above yourselves. And this is what invites joy into your life. You remember, James reminds us, James says that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Which means that if you have a problem with pride, not only are you blocking joy out of your life, but God is opposing you. You can't have it both ways. Just as Jesus couldn't be exalted without laying down his life, you can't find joy while demanding your rights. The invitation to follow Jesus is an invitation to unfollow yourself. And you don't have to have it all figured out to start moving in his direction. But you do have to lay down your selfish ambition. You do have to die to yourself. You do have to humble yourself. See, Jesus came along and he redefined joy for us. Here in Hebrews chapter 12, It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
for the joy set before him. See, it seems so odd to put this word joy in the same sentence with the cross. It almost doesn't even make sense to us. But for the joy set before him. You see, it was not the nails that kept Jesus on the cross. He was God. He could have got off of the cross at any moment. You want to know what kept Jesus on the cross? It was the joy of having a relationship with you. That's what kept Jesus on the cross. It's the joy of you. And that's why he endured the cross. The joy is only found when you give yourself up. Joy is only found when in humility you value others above yourselves. That's when we become like Jesus. And I want to get real practical. Because every one of us have relationship struggles. Every one of us have walked into this room with a relationship struggle in our life. And we wonder what to do with it. I want you to think about the most important relationships in your life right now. Who are the most important people in your life? I've got my list. I know you have your list too. What would it be like to say, I'm going to opt for relationship over getting my own way. I'm going to opt for relationship over my own interest. I am going to embrace radical humility. And I'm going to value that person, that relationship above myself. What needs to change for you to do that? This week, here's my challenge for you. Here's my assignment for you. I want you to do this in a very practical and tangible way. I want you to take some people in your life and I want you to consciously set your mindset on saying, I'm going to bring value into them. I'm going to speak hope into them. I'm going to make them feel like they are the most important person alive by the way I treat them. I want you to do that this week. I want you to set your mindset and begin to do a few things, to say some things that you know will feed into that. I'm going to bring value into their life. I want to help you take a step towards God right now, no matter where you are. And I want to ask you just to bow your heads. We're going to pray together. But I want to help you take a step towards God. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus yet, but you just heard what Jesus has done for you, and you're ready. Maybe it is thinking about the relationships in your life and how you can bring value to them. Because as you take a step towards that, you're taking a step towards God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for Jesus, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross for us. He laid down his life on the cross for us. God, for those who are taking their first steps towards Jesus, they're ready to make Jesus their Lord and their Savior. God, I pray for them. God, I pray for others who have a relationship that's strained. And they want to begin to, to bring value, and they don't know how to do it. God, help us to find tangible ways to bring value to others this week. Thank you for Jesus.
who humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. We honor him. And we pray this in his name. Amen.